we have this deal in our house. If if we both don't feel right about something, we don't do it. So I just said to him one day, I'm like, I don't feel like we're supposed to do this. I don't know how we're going to dig out of it, but I feel like we're supposed to dig out of it. And it was the decision. If you if you can make the decision to do something, you'll find a way. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Gen Z Money Podcast, where we turn financial peace to your reality. I'm your host, James Bowman, and today is episode 48, and I bring on a rock star. Today, I speak with Miss Rachel Murphy. She is, I mean, all over the personal finance area. She's got a podcast. She's the author of a book that we go into. She does financial coaching. I mean, just so much wisdom and so much great information came out of this interview. I mean, when we're going through her story, guys, she didn't have it easy, right? Her parents had it difficult. She had it difficult. She had to live through multiple recessions and come out of them, you know, still the financial guru she is today. So I love bringing on people who have so much experience in the downturns, especially nowadays, where we're, we're kind of going through it, right? So Man, oh man, you're going to hear about almost filing bankruptcy. We talk about her debt payoff journey, which we talk about all the time. We talk about the dot-com bubble, 2008. I mean, it's just great, great, great content, and we go through all of it. So I really hope you guys get inspired by this to realize, you know, you might be starting today when you're young, you're 24, 25 like me, and there are going to be hiccups along the way. You're going to drop into debt. You're going to make some bad financial decisions. But if you stick to your guns long enough, you're going to come out on top. So I really hope you guys enjoy my interview with Rachel. She's a rock star. So let's just get right into it. Before we get into the interview, let's hear a quick word from today's show sponsors. Hey, Rachel, welcome to the Gen Z Money Podcast. How are you doing on this fabulous morning? I am doing great. How about yourself? I am doing awesome, awesome, awesome. I am so glad you were able to join me on this morning. Those who do not know you, you are the author of the book, I Am Not Your ATM, A Practical Plan for Teaching Your Teen to Manage Money. You're also a financial coach, and you also are a host on a podcast titled Raising Confident Teens Podcast, where you guys are 75 episodes strong. Is all that sound about accurate? Yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah, this this is great because a part of my target audience are still in their teens. And so it's great to bring you on to where you've been working with teens for so long to not only build healthy a uh, healthy relationship with money, but to also get the financial literacy that we're not really taught in school. Yeah. Yeah, it's a uh, it's crazy, isn't it? It's like one of the most important things in life and we don't teach it. Yeah, it's it's literally one of the things like you cannot live without and they don't even mention it. It is pretty wild. But when I when I bring guests on, I like to go all the way back to the beginning because I want to understand your relationship with money. So let's take it back to your teenage years. How was money talked about and viewed as you grew up? 
Well, my family actually is not the typical family. We we talked about money. My parents, um, they were wizards, financial wizards. I don't know how they did it. My dad was enlisted military. My mom stayed at home while we were growing up. So we didn't make a whole lot of money. Um, but we didn't, I didn't ever feel like we were poor looking back and from stuff I found out they were, they were, my parents are big givers. Um, they were given, they were, they were putting people, other people through college, several of my aunts and uncles, they put through, helped put through college. Um, they were saving a ton of money and they were living on like a third of their income. And I'm like, how did you guys do that? Um, so we, I, I had a good role models. They didn't get, they didn't have credit card debt. They didn't do anything crazy. So it's not that I had a bad example, but I think a lot of the problem with teaching kids about money is a lot of it is lecture style. And that is like Charlie Brown's teacher. Nobody pays attention to that. It's just like noise in the background. Like, what does it really mean when we tell our kids um, don't get into debt or save, you know, make sure you save? What does that mean? And how do I know when I got when I get there? Right. So we have to make it more practical, relevant, relatable to their life in order to get them to understand the lessons. And so that that was my childhood. And then the thing is, though, you grow up and you get married and then you're merging two personalities together. Right. So that's and my husband's um, parents, that they say they taught him about money, but he doesn't remember any of those lessons. <laughs> so. Um, I had a good foundation growing up, but the problem came when we got married and we started our own business. So you're a young, you're a young buck. Um, but back in the day when you wanted to get on the internet, you had to go through a dial-up service provider and you had to pay for a separate service. For AOL was a big one. Um, but we actually started a local internet service provider where we live. And it it was very expensive to run and it didn't grow as fast as we thought. And we got ourselves into a huge pile of debt. And that's that's where our money crisis came. We, we ended up $50,000 in debt um, when we sold it. And it took us years to dig out of that. So did you, you mentioned that your, your parents were living on a third of their income. Did you know that at the time, or is that something you figured out later down the road when you were older and you could kind of understand that more? Yeah, I didn't know that. No. And they didn't, they probably wouldn't want you to know that either. Because they, they're very um, private about how they, they, you know, give a lot and stuff. Um, but it was, uh, it was more of like an awareness, like, you know, how are we doing that? Cause we didn't live, you know, we lived in a nice house. We ate really good and we, we had people, we'd invite people over to eat all the time. You know, we, we didn't. So, so there's a lesson there in, you know, even though you're on a budget doesn't mean your life has to be, you know, Spartan and boring. Yeah, and you don't have to lack. Like you can right. budget and you can live on less than you make, but you can still live an extravagant lifestyle. Sounds like what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Well, it wasn't extravagant, but it was enough. But you know, I was talking to one of my teenagers the other day. We we were discussing the question. You know, what when you were a kid, when you were younger, what 
when what made you think someone is rich you know because i know when i was a kid i thought oh they got a swimming pool they're rich right and she was telling me you know i used to think it was cars and, and nice houses she's like but i've come to realize that you know that doesn't mean anything because you can have a nice car and a nice house and be in a whole lot of debt and you could have a pile of money and be living in a real simple house driving older cars. So so that really, what you look like on the outside really doesn't tell us anything about you, right? Yeah, I 100% agree. And I think that, that is, I think that is a very, very hard thing to teach a teenager, especially when the, in the age of social media to where, you know, you see highlight reels of people's lives. So it's really, really hard to, get into a young person's head and even people in my generation and around my age bracket is like what you're seeing is the best of their life you're not seeing behind the curtains you're not seeing paycheck to paycheck so that's really really great to be hearing from a teenager like yeah they're probably broke if they have 20 cars and you know 20 car loans so 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 you mentioned that you guys sold this business you had and you ended out with $50,000 in debt. You know, yeah. that sounds pretty terrifying to me, in my opinion, right? <laughs> so what was that the moment where you woke up and realized like, okay, we need to make a change? Or was that kind of like just a stepping stone to get into even more financial crisis? Or what did that do to you guys' overall financial well-being and mentality around money? Right. Well, that was a, a very, very hard season to walk through because we came out of that $50,000 in debt with no jobs and we were making, it took us five years to pay that off, making $30,000 a year. So we were like beans and rice and living in the hood and driving $1,500 cars and I'm not saying you if you want to get out of debt, you're going to have to sacrifice like that. A lot of it was our mindset was so messed up. We felt like such failures, and it took us a long time to get ourselves straightened out in our heads. Um, it, it was during the dot-com crash, a lot of this. So my husband's in IT, so he couldn't find work. We went through three layoffs. We moved cross-country, um, went through three layoffs. And after the last layoff, nobody was hiring. And so we were driving back home um, from California back to Florida, September 11th, 2001. <laughs> so, so the whole world was falling apart for everyone, you know, and at the same time, our whole world felt like it was falling apart, like emotionally, job wise, you know, physically. Um, but we, you know, in the, before the, all of that happened, we had committed you know, we had gone round and round. Should we declare bankruptcy? What are we going to do about this? And a lot of people, pretty much everyone that we talked to that we respected told us, you guys, you guys need to declare bankruptcy because this is, this is a big pile of debt and you have no way to pay it off. Um, and we debated that for weeks and we'd even made an appointment to talk to an attorney. And I think Keith had actually gone and talked to an attorney, but, but we have this deal in our house. If if we both don't feel right about something, we don't do it. So I just said to him one day, I'm like, I don't feel like we're supposed to do this 
I don't know how we're going to dig out of it, but I feel like we're supposed to dig out of it. And it was the decision. If you if you can make the decision to do something, you'll find a way, right? And it was really really hard. It did, it didn't immediately become easy. It was a it was a rough couple of years, but those years made us who we are, right? And we dug out of that, and we're like, you know, hit us with something else, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, if you're able to become overcome fifty thousand dollars in debt, making thirty thousand, not many people have the mental fortitude to do that. So, if you're able to do that, it's kind of like you can literally do anything. Right. So, it, I think part of the part of the when you're going through hard times like that, part of the hope to get through is this is not a forever thing. It's one thing if you're like, I'm going to have to live like this for the rest of my life. But if you can see a goal, if you have a goal and you can see the end and you can see yourself making progress, you know, it's not as hard. Yeah. Dave Ramsey has a quote. It's like, if you can see the light at the end of the tunnel and you know, it's not a oncoming train then it's much much easier to continue <laughs> pushing towards that light so i love it it's, it's a great quote and it you encapsulated that perfectly and so i just want to for the listeners out there um she's referring to the dot-com bubble which happened in 2000 and then she also referred to the tragic 9-11 incident in 2001 this is this is where the country was going through a lot right and so this is right. a scary time where the country's going through a lot and now my family's going through a lot and they, it, I can understand how it is very, very hard to find hope during those times where there's so much uncertainty and there's so much fear. So the fact that you guys were able to dig out of that 50,000 in five years, only making 30,000 is a very, very bizarre concept to me, but <laughs> it is, it is such a testament to realize if you find hope and you find motivation you can do it yeah and i don't i don't i don't i understand people that have declared bankruptcy i don't you know i don't want to be judging anybody that's gone through that because that is a very hard place to be at you feel like you're dying right you feel like you're suffocating and you don't see any way out so you know if you've done that that you know it's fine just start now and start changing your life right but don't let that define you. If that, if you feel like that's a failure, I, I declare bankruptcy, you know, that doesn't mean anything, right? It's the past. <laughs> yeah, it, it shouldn't stop you. If anything, it's kind of like a reset button. Like, right. okay, I, I messed something up. It's time to reset it and it's time to move forward and, and hopefully not make the same mistakes. I also, I have a very love-hate relationship with bankruptcy. I think it is such a necessary tool but I also don't think that people should resort to it first. I think it is necessary, but I think that there are steps that you should at least attempt to take before going there. So that's my two cents on it. I don't judge anybody who's gone through bankruptcy. I think I think most people who have gone through bankruptcy ends up making them a better person because the whole point in building a business, you know, is is failing. And recovering from those failures, that makes you a better person. So Right. But you got to learn to fix the problem or you'll just end up there again, right? Per absolutely <laughs> precisely. Because if you make the same problems again, you're going to end up there again. Right? right. So, okay, you guys, you make it out, right? You see the light at the end of the tunnel. You guys dig yourself out of the hole and things presumably get better years to come. Is that right? Right. Yeah. 
Um, it took us a long time back back then. We didn't have a whole lot of you know. Today you've got all these podcasts, all these books, all these resources. If you're trying to figure money out, back then we had Dave Ramsey, Mary Hunt. I don't know if you've heard of her. Susie Orman, which I'm not really a big fan of her. Uh, just her personality doesn't jive with mine. Um, so there wasn't a whole lot. Dave Bach, you know, there there was a few. But nowadays, you know, if you have no money and no, you, you could go to the library or you could listen to podcasts and you could learn everything you need to know, right? It's not, it's not too much that you really need to know about money. It's more about your behavior. Um, but back then I would go to the library and check out every book I could find about money and read um, and just try to, just try to, you know, it'd be like, oh, payday is here. We've we've designated all the money, you know, within the first 30 minutes. What do we do for the next two weeks? Right. Um, so I just read books and just it was it was a lot of slow changes going on in our in our mindset because we felt like failures. We had gone through, you know, business failure. We had gone through three layoffs, you know, so we felt like there's something wrong with us you know and for five years uh, my husband drove a taxi he just had given up he's like i i can't get back into the field um but slowly we dug ourselves out he started getting back into it again um and we changed what we were doing but you know looking back it's like if i had to do it all over again I think I could have gotten at it a whole lot faster. It, it was a lot of mindset, a lot of, you know, getting, getting our, our head straight. And if you can get a good mentor, you can, you know, you can, you can change things a lot faster. Yeah. I just want to hit on the point that it's super duper important, which I don't think a lot of people take into account is that, and like you said, there's so much more information available readily at our fingertips nowadays with the invention of things like the internet, cell phones, smartphones, and things like that compared to generations before. And so a lot of times we do not give, I want to call, we don't give slack to the people who actually had to walk to the library to rent out a book. They have to actually sit down and read it. They can't just eat lunch and listen to it in their headset, right? So it's like, I always want to point that out is like, the information is at your fingertips, but you have to actually go look for it and actually utilize it in order to see the same results that someone like you would see paying off such a big, big, big amount of debt with such right. a mediocre income. Yeah, you, nobody can do it for you. You're, you're going to have to do it for yourself. And if they did it for you, that's part of the challenge is doing it for yourself, right? Because then you feel great about yourself. You're like, I did it. Look how much I saved or look what I paid off, right? Um, I think that's something that's necessary to your confidence and your self-esteem. Something Somebody always pills you out or always does it for you, then you don't learn anything. Yeah, it, you're you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And we're gonna we're gonna touch on that a little bit later too. I'm gonna get your opinion. Just a just a anyway. So let's I want to transition a little bit into the book, right? right? Let's talk about the book because this is essentially 
the title suggests that it is a book for parents to to help raise financially literate and financially responsible teens. I love the title. I'm not your ATM because <laughs> boy, oh boy, were my parents my ATM when I needed it. So <laughs> let's talk about that. What inspired you to sit down and write such a book? Well, you you talked about how we have our own podcast, right? And, you know, I would ask people in our community, what do you wish you had learned as a teenager? And the number one answer I got was I wish someone had taught me about money because nobody taught me about money and I got into a big mess, right? Um, and I thought about it a lot and I'm like, well, I could teach that because, you know, after what we went through, we decided when we had kids that we were going to do really focused financial training for them and believe it or not the story that I just told you no one had heard that story for more than 20 years like we kept it a secret like we were so ashamed of what we had been through and uh, the mess we'd made that we never told anyone like not even neither of our parents knew that story like that's how tightly we had kept it shut down like none of our family um so i'm like you know let's just start telling our story and i did a challenge with our our community um and it was really freeing to finally get the story out there and to hear people say man i'm so glad you told that story because I had this perception of you because you live in a nice house and, you know, you have all these kids and, you know, they're well taken care of. And and I, I felt like I couldn't relate to you because you don't struggle. And I'm like, man, is that really is that really how people see me? Um, so I just felt like, you know, I was teaching it, but I'm like this. I can only teach so many people. Right. And I just felt like in my spirit, I'm like, this needs to be a book. And it's a weird thing. Cause I never wanted to write a book. Like people talk about, you know, I always wanted to be an author and I write all the time and I, I write, but I don't find joy in it. Like I'm, I'm a good writer. It's it, but it drains me. It doesn't, you know, some people like they write and it just like, it's their thing and it gives them energy. Like it drains me out. So, um, the fact that I even wrote the book is a miracle because it, it just like I would sit down to write and I'd be like, I have I have nothing else to say. And then all of a sudden a thought would pop in my head. You need to put this in there. Um, so. Yeah, so it didn't it actually went way faster than I thought it would. The, the, a lot it was a lot harder doing all the editing and all the. <laughs> you think you're done. And then you're like, oh, we got to edit it again. And you think you're done, you know, you go through so many edits. Um, so that is how the book came about. It was, it was not, it was just like, you know, sometimes you just have to take the first step in something. You don't really know where you're going. You just know I should do this. And sometimes we make the mistake of, oh, I have to have everything planned out before I can make a step. And if you do that, you're never going to start, Right. Sometimes you just have to make a step and when you start stepping, you'll get more clarity. And that's kind of how the book came about. Like I never, you know, five years ago, I never would have thought we have a book, 
but it just like, oh, this is something people want. Let me do this. And then, you know, and then I see the next step and then I see the next step. Yeah, I absolutely love that. I think um, embarrassing stories, a lot, a lot of times embarrassing stories are actually the most inspirational stories because whether you realize it or not, the same thing you went through back then, there is a very, very high likelihood that someone else is going through that right now. So if they hear your story and say, wait a minute, this person went through the exact same thing I'm going through now and they made it out. It truly is inspirational because it it is so relatable. But another thing I want to hit on, which is a super duper duper good point you made. When people look at you, when they look at Rachel right here, they <laughs> see a finished product. They see someone inspirational. They see someone successful. They didn't get to see the Rachel who was making who was, who was paying off this debt, eating beans and rice, rice and beans, driving hoopties, you know, they don't <laughs> see that. And I think oftentimes that's how it is. You know, nobody really wants to hear the story of struggle if it doesn't have a happy ending. So right. nobody wants to share their story while they're struggling. They only want to share their story once they get the happy ending, which is why it's, it's super awesome to have like updated things like podcasts, YouTube, to where you can actually walk along the journey. You can feel in real time the struggles that people are having that they're discussing, and you can follow them through all the way until hopefully they get to that happy ending. That's the only bad thing I don't like about books, because it's like if someone have a loser writes a book and they lose through the whole book and they end up losing anyways, it's like, oh, man, that's not inspirational. That's that's sad. That's so it's like, you know, going into a book that there's going to be a happy ending, there's going to be an upside, but it's a little bit different when, when you could bring in modern conventions like podcasts, YouTube, even social media as a whole. So yeah, I wanted to hit on that. So the next thing, right, this, this is, this is coming, all right, Rachel, I don't, this is coming from the heart. Okay. This is coming from the heart. Teens are hard headed. Mm -hmm. okay, we all know teens are hard-headed and a lot of times people including myself say you know they should teach personal finance in school I think the country would be better if they taught it in school even though I say it I I deep down I don't believe it because I know in school I would have cared absolutely nothing about it I wouldn't care about budgeting I wouldn't care about buying a cash car instead of buying the nice you know Mazda so how are you finding success in not only piquing the curiosity of teens, but maintaining the curiosity and maintaining the attention of teens as we go through this financial education. Yeah, I agree with you. Everybody's pushing for it in schools. And I agree that having it in schools would be a good starting point, right? Just to get them used to the concepts. But that is not going to rescue them, right? Because if you say, oh, John put $1,000 in the bank, he's getting 2% interest. How much will John have in a year, right? That is a word problem. That is not relevant to their life, right? They're, that means nothing to them. If you just teach them, if I taught you, so for most schools that are putting it in the schools, it's a half credit. Right. So you take a half credit of personal finance 
in um, ninth grade. They teach you how to do a budget in one class. You get out and graduate. Are you going to remember that lesson that you had in ninth grade? No, because I can't remember what I did last week, right? The way we make a program relevant to kids, or um, I grad did a study to see what makes financial literacy stick. And they found these three concepts that has to be relevant to their life. So talking about retirement, not really relevant, right? Talking about what are you going to do with your first job? That might be more relevant. Um, it has to be relatable. You know, how does this affect me in my life right now? And it has to be interactive. So, so um, I saw this study after I had written my book and I'm like, wow, that must be why my program works, why the way we do it works. Cause that's how we do it. It's, it's relevant, relatable and interactive. So so I don't lecture my kids about money. Um, this is how we do it. I'm going to tell you. Um, when they get to be fifth or sixth grade, we start turning over parts of the budget to them that are related to them. So we start really, really small. Say maybe maybe you go to the gas station once a week for ICs with your kids. So instead of you paying for it every week, at the first of the month, you say, here's your IC money. You're in charge. So that's a really, really, really small way to get them started, right? And if they mess it up, what happens? They don't get an IC. It's not like you just got yourself $5,000 into debt, right? And then as we progress, you know, every year we add more categories, they get a bigger salary. So it's money that I'm spending anyways, but I'm redirecting it. So they get a salary the first of the month and they handle their salary. So it starts off small, you know, maybe school lunches. Like what happens if they blow the school lunch money? They have to pack a lunch. That's not a big deal, right? Um, and then as they show that they're responsible and can handle it, they get more responsibility and more categories. So that by the time they graduate, they're handling 12, 15 categories, you know, like clothing, makeup, school supplies, gasoline, um, birthday gifts for their friends, you know, whatever you might be spending on them, funnel it to them so that they're doing it. And then they're not continually coming to you and saying, can I have money for this? Can I have money for that? Can I have money for this? Right. And so my kids don't ever ask me for money unless it's something that came up unexpectedly that nobody knew about. Right. So the first of the month, they automatically automation. I love automation automatically into their savings goes up 10%. And then their checking gets the rest and they budget it for the month. And so they get years and years of practicing and practicing and practicing. And how do I do the budget again? And how do I reconcile? And what do I do if like I have something coming up, but I, I don't want to like haircuts for girls, right? Sometimes those can be really expensive, but we don't do them every month. So they learn about sinking funds and they learn about all the things that a lot of people learn the hard way once they get out on their own, right? So like if nobody ever taught you about reconciling or taught you about budgeting and all of a sudden you go out on your own to college or you move out on your own and you have 50 debits on your debit card and you're like, how do I reconcile that, you know? 
if you do it manually, some people, you know, you can do automatically with a lot of things these days, but you know, if you start out small where you just have to reconcile one or two entries when you first start, and then every year, you know, maybe next year you have five and then next year you have seven, right? Then, then it's not all dumped on you all at once. You know, how do I do this? It's overwhelming. And I don't know who to ask because all my friends, what do they know, right? They're broke too. And I'm not going to ask, you know, I don't want to look dumb. I got to be cool. It's very complicated when you're a teenager, right? Um, yeah, I think that's awesome. I think it, um, you, you outlined it perfect to where you're just giving them a little bit of time, like icy money. And it's not, you know, you're not giving them, hey, you have to pay me $1 in rent, so make sure you save this dollar. It's actually something that brings them joy, actually something they can look forward to, like, oh, I have my icy money for Friday, and they're rewarded for keeping a consistency of keeping track of their money and, and not blowing it on unnecessary things. So I think that's awesome. And as they get older, you add in, things that are relevant to them, right? It's not things like rent or electricity or things that they don't care anything about outside of, yeah, they don't, they, they're just not focused on, but it's things like their toy money, their icy money, their whatever the, whatever they value as children. Yeah. yeah clothing. Teenage. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I think that is absolutely great. Okay. So let's move on to the topic of today, which I, I want to get your opinion on because, you know, it's big news at the time of recording this. At the time we're recording this episode, our president has just announced student loan forgiveness with a few stipulations. So you're the first guest that I want to talk about and talk it through because it's still bouncing around my head pros and cons i see the look on your face you don't look <laughs> like too... you're gonna you're gonna drag me into this aren't you <laughs> no, i just i i truly i'm trying to develop a, an opinion of my own and there are right. many compelling arguments that people are making so on both sides on both sides exactly yes. so yes. what okay give me your first thoughts on the student loan forgiveness or actually no let's 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 start with student loans what are your right. thoughts on student loans themselves especially when it comes to teens trying to start a career and they want to get the education yeah i avoid student loans like the plague like we're gonna do whatever we can i've got five kids so like we're gonna do whatever we can to get, get through college debt free like you can work a job you can you know get scholarships um, I think a lot of it is parents don't think ahead. Like, like it's amazing to me the number of parents I see on forums that start freaking out senior year of high school because they don't know how they're going to pay for college. Um, and I can, I understand that budget's tight. You don't set aside money for necessarily for your kid's college but you could be getting scholarships, right? You could be planning all through high school. Like a lot of parents don't tell their kids any expectations. Like, you know, I'm going to give you this much and you need to help with this much. Like the kid is sprung on the kid when they graduate. We have no money, right? And they don't put any expectations on, well, they, they really want to go to this school. So I'm going to sacrifice to send them this school may cost a hundred thousand dollars a year. Is the education really that much better than the school that costs twenty thousand dollars a year? Right? 
why are they wanting to go to the school? A lot of times they just want to go to that school because they like the football team or their friends are going there. But what about, you know, if we spend as much time focusing on our kids' career path as we do on picking the college just because we like it, it, we might have a different outcome, right? So I, I put a couple of my kids through um, a session with a career coach. And it was a little bit pricey. It was like $500 each, four or $500 each. But in my mind, that is worth one college class, right? And if I can save them from going the wrong direction, from just taking one college class, it'll be worth it. And it gave them so much more focus and direction and helped them to realize what their strengths were and what they might be gifted at and what they might think they might like to do, but maybe that's not a good fit. Right. Because they did all these Clifton strengths and Myers-Briggs, all kinds of testing on them and said, hey, these careers might be the good fit for you. And uh, one of my girls, it took her down a whole different career path than she planned. And once she realized, oh, I am good at that and I could do this for a job, it motivated her to go out and get scholarships and gave her a different perspective, like more excitement of the future right so for my own kids it's if you want to go to a, a school out of state then you're going to be having to kick in more money because we can put, pay in-state tuition at the local state college or you could go to community college for two years or you could dual enroll a lot of states do the, do that now I, one of mine is dual enrolling right now in 11th grade so she's full-time at the university um saving two years of college Right. So many people could do that, but they want the whole college experience. And I don't think the college experience is worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. I mean, getting a degree in beer pong, you know, at the frat house isn't worth paying all that money. You know, man, oh, man, I got to clip that. I never thought, which I'm going to do for my little brother now, taking them to a career coach to figure out what career aligns with their strengths. What job are they willing to do that they would be good at because you know i'm working with my little brother he's a senior in high school right now and we're working to figure out like like it's a very very hard thing to ask a teen like what do you want to do for the rest of your life like, yeah. that's a that's a terrible that's a terrible question to ask your teen because they don't even know what they want for breakfast tomorrow <laughs> so i i I hate the idea of going to college to figure out what you want to do yeah that is such an expensive way to do it Oh my God, you know, you're right. So many kids switched their majors two or three times. And, you know, that could set you back a year or two. Mm -hmm. And then, or they graduate with something they think they like and they get into the field and they realize, oh yeah, this is terrible. I can't do this. And they just go do a job that has nothing to do with their uh, with their area of education. Right. So I, I think that's such a great tip to take them to career coaches, figure out what they're good at, and then let the professional tell them, well, these are some careers that I think you would be good at and they match with your skills. Are you do any of these pique your interests? That's right. Wow. That's such yeah. And if you think about dual enrollment, a lot of people think, well, it just saves me two years of college. But think about it like it saved you the tuition of two years of college, plus it saves you two years. You're getting out into the career field two years earlier. So if you make $60,000 a year, that's $120,000 right there, right? It's not just saving you the time of two years of college. It is saving you the tuition of two years of college plus two years income in your career field. And 
I understand that some kids dual enrollment is not a fit for, but, but you need to weigh it. If you're not really, if you're really focused on where you want to go and you know what you want to do and you're just biding your time in high school, then just go ahead. Cause it's going to count twice. It'll count for your high school and your college. Exactly. You're saving two years of high school. You're saving two years of college or you're combining two years of high school, two years of college, and you're getting two years of work experience and salary. Yeah. So it all compounds. I a hundred percent. We had a, we, we had dual enrollment in our school, but we also had something called early college where uh, ninth and 10th, you were in high school and then 11th and 12th, you were in college. And then you graduated at the same time with an associates and with a high school diploma. Unfortunately, I wasn't, I wasn't driven enough to get into that program. <laughs> I was, oh, okay. And the cool thing is if it's in your co- at your college or your high school, you still get the high school experience. Exactly. Like you're not missing out, right? So all right. So so that's your opinion on student. How did loans. we get off on that? <laughs> I feel like I feel like they are very predatory and they don't inform the kids enough about what they're getting into when they sign on that line. Like no one else could go out and get a loan like that with no income. If you went to the bank and said, hey, I want a loan to start a business. Will you give me, you know, $100,000? They're going to say no. But if you 18 year old kid can go into college office and sign and not have a clue what they're doing. And, and I think a lot of people have gotten into trouble by because of that. I don't like the idea. You know, you know, there's a lot of kids that worked really, really, really hard to put themselves through college and ate rice and beans and walked and, you know, didn't buy a car. And then there's other kids who got big loans and lived life, went out to eat, you know, they, they spent the loan money on stuff other than college and they're getting all of that wiped away. I can see the resentment that is going to, <laughs> to cause to, to the people that worked hard and it's like your work was for nothing, right? But I also understand that some people are in, you know, circumstances that are difficult. So, you know, unfortunately, it's not something we can do case by case because it's the government, right? So... <laughs> Yeah, I've been I've been wrestling with this topic the last couple of days, and it's like one compelling argument people make is like, well, business are uh, the government's bailing out businesses, right? So why not bail out the working people? And you know what? That is a very very good argument. They're forgiving loans for businesses, so why not do it for the American people? I understand, but I I think my biggest my biggest resentment for this whole thing isn't actually the forgiveness; it's just the fact that. You're forgiving 10,000 today, but there are going to be students tomorrow taking out 20, 30, 40,000 in perpetuity. So if we don't fix the injury, if we don't fix the bleeding, if we don't stop making the loans or at least restrict them down, then this forgiveness does nothing for the students to come. That's that's my main strife that keeps boggling my mind. It's difficult. Like you said, it's like there is no black and white. It's a very multi-layered problem that it just can't give like a yes or no answer. Is it right or wrong? It's like, it depends. Here are some factors and. Right. Or maybe it could be like, maybe you forgive a percentage, right? They still learn. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. It's a, (laughs) it's a topic I just wanted to hit on. It's a hot topic right now. So it's like. I'm I'm still I'm just gathering everybody's opinions and just weighing them to see to create my own and 
Right. There's a but whole... It's not like they're going to ask our opinion, James. Like, so. <laughs> well, the government I mean, doesn't care what I. Hey, look, but... they might be watching this podcast. Okay. So. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting that it's a good debate. Yeah. It, yeah. Both sides have very, very compelling arguments. Um, it's and it's very polarizing. So it's a, it's a very hard topic to talk about, but I think it should still be talked about to where we find the right solution and right. Not the best solution. You know, it, it'd be like you and me working really hard to save money for our retirement for years and years and years sacrificing and then somebody else coming along and doing nothing and then the, and then this getting the same thing that we got right i could see i can see how that would hurt <laughs> yeah absolutely i can i can see how it yeah hurt. yeah so all right rachel let's go into some of your short-term goals and your long-term goals what are some things that you hope to accomplish within the next six months to a year whether it's in the podcast you know the book, your branding, or even your personal finances yourself? Um, we have been wrestling with this question a lot at our house, actually. I want to I want to start doing more generational wealth for my kids, right? So like this book, this podcast, it's, it's more of like our gift to people. We're not making money off of this stuff. And it's not something I can really pass down to my kids. You know, I wrote this book, but they haven't raised teens. They don't, you know, they can't run with it if I die or part of our story that we didn't talk about is 12 years ago we went off on this amazing journey to build our own house uh, we built a log home out in the woods we had no construction experience other than a two-day class we flew to Washington State and took a two-day classroom class we didn't do anything outside um, it was all sitting in the classroom and then we flew home and um the next year, we next two years, two years later, we spent three and a half years building this house with our kids. And it was a really, really hard season also because we were figuring out stuff we didn't know how to do. And it's like you hit a wall and you have to figure it out because no one is going to buy a half-built house, right? So that was another really growing, really stretching part of our life where we learned a lot about ourselves. We learned a lot about failure. We learned a lot of the lessons that we have gone on to teach. That's kind of why we started the podcast, because we realized um, there was something in the learning of skills that changed our kids. Going through it, we didn't know it was going to be such pivotal lessons. It was more like, I hope we're not screwing up our kids and they're going to have to go to therapy because, you know, we're making them work too much or we're expecting too much out of them. But instead of them feeling like we were expecting too much out of them, they rose to the occasion and they learned how to do things that who knew kids could do all these things. Right. And so it was something that we could look back on and say, hey, look what we did as a family. Like we built a whole house, right? And after that, we went on to build some timber frame stuff. And what we, what our big dream is to do is to teach other people how to build houses. And our kids want to be a part of that. One of them is going into project management and one of them wants to go into construction. And, you know, with the cost of housing right now going crazy, our goal is let can we teach people how to DIY their own houses so like you know teach a week-long class and then offer support 
afterward through a membership or whatever. And so we want to build a, we, th there's so many parts to this, James. It's like a 20 year plan almost like, but, but we want to build like a big event barn, timber frame event, because we're going to build timber frame post and beam. I don't know if you know what that is. It's the big beams, really pretty. Um, kind of like Bass Pro Shops. You know, gotcha. Um, so we want to build a big event barn where people can come in and take the classes and build some uh, cabins around it so that we can uh, have places for people to come in and stay. And then we can Airbnb them and rent out the event barn when we're not using it for classes. So that's my, our big, that's more, that's more not a year goal. That's more like a big goal. Sounds my like year goal. Five year goal. My year goal. I want, we want to take an Alaskan cruise, um, Keith and I, for our 30th anniversary next year. That's oh, our... congratulations. 30 years. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. If you don't kill each other, then, <laughs> right? <laughs> there were a few times there when it was like, oh, God. <laughs> we're running, especially building a house. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. We lived in a 33 foot travel trailer with four kids for three and a half years. So, if you can get through that, oh yeah, you can. You, you can, can take get a through anything. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so you talked about the event barn. Do you have anything else over the five to ten year goals that you have to accomplish? And what does the finish line look like for you and your family? You know, I just want to get to the end and feel like that I helped a lot of families because money is such a such a weird topic. It's like it affects every part of your life. You know, what I'm teaching my teenagers is not just going to affect them. It's going to affect their spouse. It's going to affect their children, right? So it's the number one cause of divorce, money problems, right? So if we can change families so that they have strong money foundations, then their marriages are going to be stronger. And then their children will grow up with a stronger foundation and not live in a home affected by divorce because the parents split up because they were fighting about money all the time, right? I just want to make a difference and an impact and know that what I did mattered, right? It, it wasn't about, oh, can I be an influencer or oh, can I write a best-selling book? It's more about, can I help families? It's kind of like, it's not about getting money or having money, but it's about teaching people what money can do for you. It's about teaching people the stress that having a little bit more money can take off of the table. It, it removes those stressful arguments. It removes those, a lot of stressful times, just having an excess amount of money to do so. So even though money does not solve all problems, it can, it can definitely be a tool to prevent a lot of problems. And right. And that. it's such a taboo topic. People don't talk about it because their parents didn't talk about it. Did your parents talk about money to you? Absolutely. Uh, yeah. They talked about how we didn't have any, but that's about right. it. <laughs> so the perception that we're passing down to our kids is, you know, Ooh, those people have it. This is what we're striving for, but we don't know how to get there, right? If we can just talk about money more, even if a person does not know anything about money, that is not an excuse, right? If I have a kid who has a learning disability and can't read, do I just ignore the problem or do I say, I'm going to find out what I can to help this kid, right? If you don't know about money, well, the first step is saying, I don't know, right? Your kids know you don't know. Don't try to hide it from them and just say, hey, let's learn about it together. 
And the beauty about the way we teach is that you really, you're not teaching them deep concepts. You're not teaching them to start with. I mean, you can get to the investing, but you don't have to worry about, well, I can't teach my kids about money. I don't know anything about investing. Well, you know how to buy clothes, right? So just start giving giving them parts of the budget and letting them learn. This is a finite amount of money. That That's the thing a lot of kids don't get because mom and dad just <clears throat> hand the money out whenever they need it. They don't really see the finiteness of money. So parents are like, I, I buy them clothes and I find them in their room laying on the floor with tax on them and they never wore them and now they don't fit, right? Well, if they start buying their own clothes, they're going to make sure they fit because they're going to be like, well, I only have how much ever money? Two, say $200 for this season. I don't know how much. Um, if I don't like this, I better take it back because then I can get something else I want, right? Or if your kids, you know, you go to you go out to eat with your family, you got five kids, sometimes you get water, right? So when they were little, I always hated doing the, hey, everybody, let's get water speech because um, drinks are two bucks each and that adds up, right? So it's amazing how, you know, as a parent, you feel a little bit guilty when you do that. You you feel like they're mad at you because you tell them they have to get water. It's an amazing the shift that goes on when you, okay, they all have restaurant budgets because, you know, we used to go out to eat once a week. So they would get the equivalent of what they would get and they'd have to manage it. So it's amazing how often they get water when it's their own money, right? Yeah, it's That's... one thing when you're spending someone else's money. When you're spending your own money, we all know that. Well, we right. all know that struggle. But they, a lot of kids don't learn that because they've never, they don't know the boundaries. They don't know if I spend it here, I don't have it there. So, you know, they can get a lot more resourceful when it's theirs. And it gives them a sense of control, which is what every teenager wants, right? I don't want to have to go ask mom and dad every five seconds, you know, for money. That's what it seems like sometimes, you know? Um, it's it's more cool to just whip out your wallet when your friends say, "Hey, you want to go? You know, you want to go out to eat?" Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't have to ask mom and dad. Where, how did I get off on that? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about the finish line, but you were, oh. you were talking about you know teaching your kids that 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 is part of your finish line is pat your children passing that on to other families and other children. Yeah, I'm doing this for my grandkids, right? I want my grandkids to have a great, strong family foundation of you know good money it affects so much of of everyone's life and i want you know people to say you know i felt like i couldn't do it but you helped me figure it out it's not that much knowledge there's not that much knowledge you really need to know how to handle money as long as you're making this is the amazing thing to me james we have people that make all different income levels and they live all over the world where they make you know, maybe you live in California where the cost of living is higher, or you live in Iowa where it's low. Maybe you have, you know, seven kids and I only have one. Maybe you have a big house and I have a little house, but they all have the same complaint. I, I don't make, make enough money. So how is that possible? Like you're making 50, you're making a hundred, you're making 200. How can you all have that same problem? It's because they never learned how to manage it right they never learned to live on less than they made and it's true you have to have a certain amount what we did with thirty thousand is really 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 hard to do you know there's a base you have to have to survive but past that people just they don't learn how to money manage it and then i try to tell my kids learn now to live on 80 percent because a lot of people don't learn that lesson and then get the first job they're spending 100 percent of it 
right? So then they have no savings, no margin, no anything. If you can learn when you're young to live on 80%, then it's going to be way easier. You know, think about most people start saving, uh, investing in their thirties, right? Cause they, they never, they always spent a hundred percent of what they made. If you can learn how to live on 80% coming out the gate and just that's ex expected of you, then you can build a lot of wealth. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree. Yeah, you hit you hit that one home, Rachel. So let's go into the final questions of the podcast. These are the same questions I ask every single guest to come on to close out the show. Are you ready? Sure. Question number one. Everyone has their own definition of what it means to have financial peace. What is your definition? I can lay down in my bed at night and not think about money. Because I remember lots of nights when I laid there awake. <laughs> trying to figure out how we were going to survive. That's peace right there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Question number two, if there are listeners out there that want to start building wealth and they have no clue where to get started, what would you tell them? The first step is you just have to decide. That's the hardest step. You decide you're going to do it and a way will, the way will pop up, you know, decide, commit and Tell yourself, I'm going to do whatever it takes to figure this out. And you'd be amazed at what pops into your path or what books fall in your way, you know? I think a lot of people underestimate the power of willpower, sheer willpower. If you have the willpower to do something, there's nothing that's going to stop you from finding a way to accomplish it. So, yeah, I think a lot yeah. of people underestimate that. Surround yourself with stories like that. Like my kids and I, we listen to this podcast. It's called the Rejection Podcast. Um, and it's got stories of all, people from all different walks of life that had to go through like Muggsy Bogues or Kurt Warner or um, the guy that invented the Rubik's Cube or the guys that wrote Back to the Future. It's got all kinds of different um, from all different genres and stuff i think in our we we live great lives james if you think about it compared to the rest of the world and we're we expect life to be perfect and easy and that is not life life is challenges and problem solving and if you can just realize this is just problem solving and i just gotta figure it out you can figure it out it may not always go the way you want but you're gonna survive and get through it and you'll learn a lesson yeah, and you can always think like, it could be worse, right? It yeah. could be worse. I could be facing this problem and I could be hungry, right? At least I'm not hungry and <laughs> facing this problem. Oh, yeah. So question number three, if there's one thing you could advise everyone to avoid doing to build wealth, what would that be? Um, comparing yourself to other people. Because like you said, you know, they're, you're just seeing their highlight reels. You don't know what they're going through. They could be going through all kinds of stuff in the background, right? You, you drive by that nice house and you're like, oh, if I could just live there, but you don't know, you know, they could be facing something like, you know, they could be dying or, you know, they could be having all kinds of marriage trouble. You don't know what they're going through. You know what you're going through and you can't compare that because we all have our challenges yeah, I think they say comparison is the thief of joy. Yes. Right. So you want to avoid yourself from trying to keep up with the Joneses all the time because unfortunately you you don't realize the benefits the Joneses have also come with their own set of problems. So yeah. 
you and you wanna... you'll never be happy if you if you think like that exactly. if you're always comparing yourself to others exactly question number four if there's someone out there that doesn't believe they can reach financial peace due to their age race religion sexual orientation etc what would you say to change their mind i would say the money is immoral it doesn't care who you are the biggest hurdle you're gonna have to go through is your mindset like like we talked about a lot before like we had to change our mindset um, what you believe about your capability and what you can do is going to determine how far you can go. And if you can just start believing in yourself, you can, that's the first person that needs to believe in you yourself. <laughs> um, that's so true. I think a lot of times, oftentimes, a lot of people see potential in you that you don't see in yourself. And so I just think like, if if someone else has potential in you, you have to respect yourself enough to have this, to have the same viewpoint and see the same potential in yourself. Yeah. Rachel, this has been such, such, such an awesome interview. Thank you so much for coming on, not only sharing your story, but also sharing all of your tips to get those hard-headed teens set up to have a much less stressful life. Where can people find out more about you? Um, well, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Rachel Murphy Coaching. And I'm also setting up a page just for your listeners. If you go to rachelmurphycoaching.com slash Gen Z money, um, I'll have all kinds of links on there where you can get like my top three uh, recommended finance books for teens, um, a link to our podcast, a link to my book. And if you're thinking... That's interesting the way she teaches her teens. I might want to try to do that. Um, the first step I would say, I wouldn't go out and say, hey, we're changing the way we're doing things, kids. I wouldn't say a word. I would just, I have a, a free spending tracker there you can download. Um, just start keeping track of what you spend money on your kids on. And that'll give you an idea of, hey, in the future when I do this, this is how much I should give them in the budget, right? This is how much we spend on clothes. This is how much I should probably make their clothing budget. Um so that is how you can find me. Absolutely. You guys are not going to have to go far. I'm going to have her Facebook, her Instagram, and her website all linked down in the show notes. I'm also going to have a link to her to purchase her book and all that great stuff and to her podcast. It's all going to be down in the show notes. Guys, I appreciate you. Rachel, I appreciate you coming on, sharing your story. This is Rachel, guys. Author of a book, financial coach, awesome mom podcast host just everything in the whole world rachel thank you so much for coming on oh thanks for having me i had a good time with you uh, i will catch you later boy oh boy was that interview with rachel so packed man we went through so many things we went through bankruptcy we went through her paying off guys she paid off fifty thousand dollars in five years making $30,000. That's $10,000 a year. That means she was living on less than $20,000. I, I really don't want to push over that because it is such a relief realizing like it can be done. Yes, today is different from when she did it, but that does not mean it's still not possible to pay off tons and tons of debt, even if you're making a modest living. Also, I love that she's willing to share her embarrassing stories and, and really her weaknesses when it comes to finance, because at the end of the day, we all have them. We're all human. So it's just great to hear people talk about these things because I don't think they get talked about enough. I try and share it with you guys, but 
Yeah, it's crazy. And then also the tip she had, which is just, listen, if you guys don't take anything away from this, the freaking taking your teens to career coaches, figuring out not only what are they passionate about, but what are they good at? If you have something you're passionate about and you're good at doing it, it's a recipe for being a stud, being a phenomenal person, and really enjoying the thing you're doing for the next 10, 20, 30 years as you build wealth and get ready to retire. So that is such a great tip. I'm 100% giving that to every client I have from now on because, God, that is awesome. With that being said, guys, I'm going to have all of Rachel's. I'm going to have her book linked down in the show notes, and I'll have all of her information down in the show so you guys can reach out to her. Such an amazing guest. So much wisdom. She's so awesome. And, of course, guys, if you guys do want financial coaching from me, you can find that down in the show notes below. Click on my website. Go there. Schedule that free phone call. And if you want to follow me on social medias, if you want to hit me up, ask me a question, something you didn't understand, do not hesitate to reach out. I answer every single message personally. It goes right to my phone. So don't hesitate to do that, guys. But I'm going to get up out of here. I really hope you guys enjoyed this interview with Rachel. And I hope you learned something. Just remember, I'm your host, James Bowman. This is the Gen Z Money Podcast. And always remember, you're only as secure as your ability to perform. So spend your life accumulating assets that can perform for you. Later, guys.